0: 1 Kings 18, verses 20 through 40. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as contained two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and soldered them there. This is the word of the Lord.
1: My name is Jacob Simmons. I am delighted to be here. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Dr. Fuller. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, this is an honor and a joy and a privilege, and I'm so thankful uh, to be a part of the Beeson community. Um, this was quite a surprise to receive this invitation because as a student, I was the most average of average students that you could expect. In my entering class were three blonde, white dudes named Jacob. So right away, I knew that I was utterly replaceable. You can ask the professors. I was right in the middle of the bell curve. I mean, right in the middle, not one way or the other. My very first test, uh, Dr. Park gave me a 54 on my first test. Let me say that differently. I earned a 54 on my very first test, but she helped me be a grad student, and we figured it out, uh, and I'm so glad to be here. There was, however, one noteworthy thing that I did, and that is that I married Suzanne. Uh, Suzanne is the best, and you all should know that. Um, uh, Whenever I see a Beeson professor, a member of the Beeson community, they always say, hey Jacob, how's Suzanne? Because they all know they all know. Suzanne actually uh, received the invitation to preach a couple years ago because Beeson knows what I know, that I'm not the best preacher that sleeps in my bed. I'm not. I know my station in life. I am Beeson's trophy husband, and that is okay. It's fine. It's good. Uh, I'm so thankful to Suzanne and her ministry. Did you like that one? Good. That was for you. Uh, but I'm delighted uh, to be here today. And Before we begin, I want to ask... Uh, who are the competitive people among us? Could you show me your hands, the competitive people? And you don't have to prompt them. Competitive people, they know they're competitive, and they want to be the first to raise their hand. When I asked this question in our church recently, Miss Olga raised her hand first, 93 years old. Miss Olga shot it up. I wanted to know what Miss Olga is competitive in because I want to whoop Miss Olga. That's my goal. I am a little bit competitive. I'm not super competitive. I like to compete and play to win, but it's not life or death. Uh, that was the ethos of our Beeson flag football team. We were called All-Day Bray, named after our jan term schedule. and we competed. We wanted to win, we wanted to win, uh, but we didn't it wasn't life or death, so we were champions of the B League. That was perfect for us for intramurals. Uh My kids are a little less competitive than I am, and that's because I'm married to the least competitive person you'll ever meet. Uh, Suzanne says athletically. Her greatest athletic accomplishment is birthing our two children, which is true. Yes, it is true. Her second greatest athletic accomplishment was quitting the volleyball team sophomore year. Her thoughts on competition are like, why? Like, what's the point? What are we doing here? I just both, I hope both teams have fun. That's kind of her vibe. But there are other competitive among us, those who seek to win. And in our text today, we get a very serious competition. This competition is more than winning and losing. More than life and death, this competition has eternal stakes. And in our text today, uh, we will be reminded that there is only one true God. There is only one true God, and there is no competition. And we are called once again to worship Him and Him alone and bear witness to who He is and what He has done. Open your Bibles to First Kings chapter 18 as we hear the story of the God who answers by fire. And if you'd like to pray for God to answer by fire right now, uh, that would be appropriate because the chapelists still think it's July in Alabama, and we can huddle close to the God who answers by fire today. To set the context a little bit, at the end of chapter 16, we're introduced to Ahab, son of Omri, who is the king in Israel for 22 years, and it is not good. It says that... Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than any king who had gone before him. He committed the sins of his father, allowing for idol worship in the land. But worse yet, he married Jezebel, a Sidonian princess, who allowed and encouraged the worship of her god, Baal. It is not good in Israel spiritually. It's actually quite cold. And so God sends a prophet, Elijah the Tishbite, to come and speak out against Ahab. To, to tell him that it is not Baal who provides the rains, but it's God. Dr. House tells us in his commentary, Baal worshipers believe that their God made the rain, which is a quite important detail in an agricultural community. Elijah prays for a drought to prove that Yahweh, not Baal, is in charge of crop-enriching rains. He prays for a drought, and for three and a half years, there was no rain in all of Israel. The clouds dried up things are not good our text jumps right into the middle but all of chapter 18 uh, builds uh, into uh, crescendos into this great competitive moment verse 20 says so ahab sent to all the people of israel and gathered the prophets together at mount carmel now the word all the people of israel can't mean everybody in all of israel but the language is clear that this is a significant number of people i mean this is the super bowl watched by thousands in person, millions online, a lot of people, the royal family is there, the leaders of the local religion are there, a lot of people there, all the people of Israel have gathered together for this occasion. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. They had nothing to say. The problem was they were limping between two opinions. They were practicing syncretism, trying to worship God and worship Baal. It says they were limping back and forth. And this is not the good limping like Jacob or Israel who wrestled with God and walked with a limp from his hip for the rest of his life. Not that kind of limping that would remind Jacob of his encounter with God. But no, this is the different limping, to be lame. They look lame as they limp around back and forth, going between the temple or wherever they worshipped and then going to the altar of Baal to worship him, limping back and forth. As ministers, we are tempted to limp between two different opinions. I know we don't think that we practice syncretism, but if we examine our hearts, we realize that we worship God and other things. Just as an example, in the very zip code in which we sit right now is a 56-foot statue to the Roman god Vulcan, the god of fire of all gods. Can you believe it? Right here in the middle of the Bible Belt. And we say, no, we don't worship it. We don't worship that statue. He's more of like a, a funny little mascot, and we drive right by. But right there, somebody somewhere decided, you know what? Because Birmingham was fil- built in the fires of the furnace, let's recognize the God of our economy. We don't think we practice syncretism, but we do. And it might not be a foreign God, but I'll tell you it is. It's us. We worship us. Think about how you spend your time and how you spend your money. You spend your time and your money on what you want to spend your time on. You do what you want to do. We put ourselves on the throne that God should occupy. And worse yet, as ministers, we get to be a part of God's work and we think it's because of us. We think that we do the work that God does. No, church, we cannot limp between two opinions. Uh, I'm reminded of the words of Dr. Gardner C. Taylor in his lecture to Yale Divinity School, the Beecher uh, Lectures, and I'm pr- paraphrasing a little bit. He says, As preachers, you can either make yourself look good or God look good, but never both. How often, by happenstance, by on purpose, or just by omission, we try to make ourselves look good as opposed to giving glory to God. How long. Will we limp between two different opinions? The people did not answer them because the people knew. So Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, And I will call upon the name of Yahweh, the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, sounds good. It's well spoken. We know the rules of the game now. Finally, we're going to get a little bit of clarity in this situation. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name, uh, for you are many, call upon the name of your God and put no fire to it. He says, I'm the home team here in the promised land, so you guys go first. There's 450 of you and one of me. Oddsmakers have made me a pretty significant underdog, so you get to go first. So they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. Answer us, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. From morning until noon, hours and hours. How long did they call out before they started to get a little bit embarrassed? I wonder calling out over and over and over again. And it says they limped around the altar that they had made. And That word limp is the same one that Elijah has called them on. The same word to show all the people of Israel watching, this is what you look like when you worship another God. This is what you look like limping around. It might say dancing, but the word is the same. You look lame. You look ridiculous, quite honest. And so Elijah starts to speak up, starts a little trash talk. This is Michael Jordan, Gary Payton, Kevin Garnett, levels of trash talk, starts making jokes. And let me tell you, as a person who's been adjacent to the comedy community for a number of years now, I love the jokes. I love it. We, we read this when he mocks them and cries aloud. This is not coarse joking, as the New Testament would say, but this is part of the powers of persuasion to demonstrate to all of Israel what exactly is happening here. He starts to mock them. I love that before we get to the divine barbecue, Elijah starts with a roast. I love it. I love it. Cry aloud. For he's a God, is he not? Speak up. Cry aloud. Is he musing? Is your God off thinking somewhere? Is he wandering in the garden just considering things? Or is he in the bathroom? Is he in the potty? He works blue, Elijah does. He works blue, a little potty humor here. Me and my six-year-old, we're all on board this. He's teasing. He's making fun. He's embarrassing them as he should. Is he relieving himself? Is he on a journey? Did he go somewhere without you? Did he forget about you? Maybe he's asleep. Wake him up cry louder, be louder. Let's hear it. All 450 of you, let's hear it. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And I'll be honest, it's giving embarrassing right now. It's giving desperate It's a little cringe, if I'm honest. How far are they going to go, cutting themselves, hoping that their God would pay attention to them because of the ways in which they've punished themselves? It says they go on as midday passed. We've been at this for hours. They raved on in this prophetic like trance, on and on, until the time of the offering of the oblation. The clock is ticking. It's almost zero. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And in this last phrase, I wonder if this isn't just Baal not paying attention, but the crowd around, no one cares anymore. Because Baal is not God, Caesar is not God. Money is not God. Fame is not God. Success is not God. Luck is not God. Ministry is not God. Church is not God. We are not God. And if we look to any of those things to save us, we are lost. There is only one true God. So Elijah says to all the people, hey, come here. Get close. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your God. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. The altar which had been destroyed by the prophets of Baal and those who promoted that Canaanite worship. The altar had been destroyed, but Elijah repairs it. We don't know what it looks like exactly. Maybe it looks like the altar that Moses built in Exodus chapter 20 after he was Up on Mount Sinai, he was given the law of the land, the unadorned altar with no carvings, no images, but something that would allow them to focus solely on God. It says there were 12 stones, so maybe it reminded them of the monument at Gilgal that Joshua built after they grabbed 12 stones from the, the Jordan River when it was dried up so that all of Israel could enter into the promised land when they took those 12 stones and made that monument to remind them that God alone provides for them, and he always keeps his promises. Elijah built this altar, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four jars with water and put it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time, and he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. It should remind you that this is in the middle of a drought. You know some people were angry. You know they were mad. That's precious water. We don't have a lot of that. And you're just pouring it on top of the altar? This is Elijah showing off. But he's not showing off himself everything he's doing shows that he cannot start this fire god can do it as ministers we prepare for god's work that can only be done by god we prepare for god's work that can only be done by god i'll tell you this i don't know a better illustration in scripture for sermon preparation than this right here because we work we prepare we parse our Greek and our Hebrew. We write, we pray, we fashion. But if we think our words are going to transform anybody, we're mistaken. We're lost. We don't do it. And you're counseling and you're preaching and you're teaching and you're serving. There is nothing you can do to save people. There is nothing you can do to transform people. Only God can do it. Let us not dare for a moment believe that it's us who's doing the work. No, God alone does it. So let us set up our lives in our ministry, in a way that completely depends on God and not on our own strength. let's show off a little bit after the altar had been built, and the everything is set up at verse 36 at the time of the offering of the oblation, as the time clock is ticking down, Elijah the prophet came near and said, "O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel." Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Answer me, Lord, for two reasons. One, so that we know that you alone are God. And two, so that we are reminded that it's not too late to repent. It's not too late to turn back. It's not too late to repent from our Baal worship, from our idol worship, from our syncretism, from giving glory and honor to anything that is not you. It's not too late. Answer us. Answer me, O Lord. And in verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell. The fire Of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt offering that was offered to the Lord. It consumed the bull and then it consumed the wood and it consumed the stones and the dust. I didn't know fire could do that. Burning stones, burning ashes itself. God is showing off. This is not a regular fire. This is a divine and holy fire there for all of Israel to see that there is only one God. And he is the God who answers by fire. As ministers, we serve the God who answers by fire. We serve the one who hears our prayers and responds to us and shows us that he alone is God and that it is not too late to repent. The fire fell and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Water itself is burning. God is showing off. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We worship the God who answers by fire. But what was true on this day on Mount Carmel is true for us today. Because he didn't just pour out fire there and there only. But in Acts chapter 2, when all were gathered together, uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out. On the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The fire from heaven fell and the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We see the picture here. The fire still falls and it looks like the Holy Spirit. It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Church, this is how we win This is the competition by loving others enough to point back to God so that everybody can see that he alone is God. So what do we do with this? What do we do with the fire that has fallen from heaven? As Paul says to Timothy, you fan the flame. Fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We have access to this same fire through the Holy Spirit. And we serve that God. After this, Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized him and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Effectively, this is the Vince Carter. I mean, it's over. It's over. There's nothing left. And you guys, there's punishment for your sins. For years, those who had who had led the people of Israel astray, who had told them that you can worship any God you want to, they experienced the judgment. They experienced the punishment. They got what they deserved. So I want to ask, how did Elijah know to do this? This is bold. This takes some intestinal fortitude that I don't know that I have. This takes guts. How did he know? Well, if you look back in chapter 17, after Elijah prays for a drought, it says, The Lord took him and went and lived by the brook Carith, I'm in verse 5, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. For over three years, this prophet Elijah sat in the wilderness and waited on the Lord. Every day, every meal was provided by the hand of God. Every meal was provided by God himself. As ministers, we wait on the Lord. How do we we prepare for this Mount Carmel experience right now, each and every day? How do we fan the flame in right now? We wait on the Lord. We see his provision and recognize it is from him alone, not from us, our strength, our competence, our education. No, God gives us every good blessing and we count it as part of our preparation. We wait on the Lord. I don't know if it's a coincidence that there was a drought in the land for three and a half years and that the average MDiv takes about three and a half years. I don't know, but I'll tell you this right now. You are being prepared. Right now, the Lord is preparing you for the work he has for you. So as you do your work, as you struggle, and I know it's a struggle, as you work, as you pray, as you write, as you parse, as you study, the Lord is preparing you now for a moment that he will use to show those who need to see it that there is only one true God. And he alone is worthy of our worship. We don't do this because of our strength, our abilities, our competencies. Because the truth is, we are all sinners who've fallen short of God's glory. We limp between two opinions, worshiping God and worshiping something else. We limp around altars that we make to ourselves, and we wonder why we don't hear an answer. We are prideful and arrogant, greedy and selfish, angry and lustful. We are sinners who deserve death. We deserve the slaughter at the brook Kishon. And yet, God sent a new and better prophet, not to call on God to consume the sacrifice, but who became the sacrifice himself. God said, come near to me. And he sent his son Jesus, the Emmanuel, to be the sacrifice that would cover the sins of his people. We don't have to have our blood gush out to get his attention, but Jesus has hid, had his blood poured out on the cross to show us how much he loves us. The altar at Carmel points us to the cross at Calvary where the witnesses respond with full affirmation. At Carmel, the people said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And at Calvary, the centurion pronounced, Truly, this was the Son of God. We, as God's people, those who have put their faith in His Son Jesus, can join the witnesses in their confession as we bear witness to others as to who God is and what He has done. We take part in the great Rissus Paschalis, the great Easter laugh, the greatest joke ever told. Because on that Friday, on that good Friday, when the tomb was sealed, the enemy thought he had won. But on Easter Sunday, the good news was declared that the tomb was empty, that Jesus had risen from the grave. And church, we can laugh and laugh and laugh and say, death, where is your victory? Death. Where is your sting? His Spirit, which is poured out on us like tongues of fire, fills us up so that we can pour out praise and joy and celebration and exultation and worship to the God who hears us and to the God who answers by fire. So we will. We will worship Him. And we will bear witness to Him until the day that Christ returns to gather us together on a new mount. There, God's people will be gathered in robes of white proclaiming salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And they will join the chorus of angels who fall on their faces before the throne and worship God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The Lord, He is God the Lord. He is God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we worship you and you alone. May we be convicted of anything else that we give glory and honor to that is not you. May you show us through the power of your Holy Spirit the ways in which we practice syncretism, or we worship other things. May we Be reminded that you alone are God and that it's not too late to repent. And Father, I pray that you would prepare us to tell this to others. To those who are limping back and forth between two opinions, may we have the boldness and the leading and prompting of your Holy Spirit to show others that there is only one God who's worthy of our worship and he has drawn near to us through his son Jesus Christ who forgives us our sins because of his love and his grace for us if we put our faith in him. Father, rain down your fire. May your Holy Spirit guide us and lead us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.